Happy Mother's Day. Uh, one of the things that, uh, as I think about mothers and Mother's Day and having kids, um, you know, sometimes kids do crazy things. And some of you mothers may be saying, always kids always do crazy things. Uh, and, and one of the things that I find interesting is that as children get older and as they get more coordinated, kind of the more opportunity for even more crazy things to happen. And so one of the stories that I've often heard many parents, many mothers tell are stories that go something like this. You know, my child who couldn't talk, um, the child that age that can't talk, whatever age that is. For some of you mothers, I know your child started talking at one. For the rest of us, you know, two or three years old. Um, so my child was not listening. I was trying to tell them to do something and they weren't listening. They just kept ignoring me. So I just kept getting louder and louder and they kept ignoring me. And so finally, later on that evening, the child was tugging at their ear and crying. And so as a good parent, what you do is you take your child to the doctor and you're expecting them maybe to have an ear infection or something like that. And to your horror, when the doctor looks in your child's ear, there's a pee or a BB or a foreign object. And so if, if you were to take your child to somebody like Tracy, and I know he probably has many of these stories, you literally have to dig the objects out of the, their ear. From what I understand, this happened to Drew last week? I'm just teasing. So there's this, this process that, that has to happen. If you've got to dig this thing out of the ear, and, and then the amazing thing happens. Once, once the ears are dug out, now the child can hear. Common sense. Something in the ear can't hear, and the doctor has to dig that out. As children of God, one of the things that we talked about last week is that there are times that we have things in our ears that prevent us from hearing what God has for us. And if you were here with us last week as we were looking at this section of Scripture, one of the things that I pointed out that, that the Gospel writer and Jesus was constantly saying was, hear, 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 listen, listen, listen. And two of the obstacles that I talked about that were in our ears were external voices, things, distractions of the world that get in our ears and can cloud our hearing. And the other thing that I think affects our hearing a lot of time, an obstacle that's in our ears, are the internal voices. The voices and things that we are saying to ourselves. And it's interesting, in the book of Psalms and in the book of Isaiah, in the Old Testament, there's this interesting concept. Here in Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 50, it says this, Morning by morning he awakens. He awakens my ears to hear as those who are taught. Notice this. The Lord God has opened my ear and I was not rebellious. I turned not backwards. And then in Psalm 40 verse 6. You have not desired sacrifice and meal offering. You have opened my ears. These two texts talk about the Lord opening up the ears. And in the Hebrew, in the original language, this word actually is to dig out. And the picture that we get here in the Bible, and I think the picture that we have as Jesus is telling these parables, is open your ears, let God dig out your ears, remove the obstacles so that you can hear what God 
would have for you to hear this morning. And one of the things that I love about this account that we saw last week is as Jesus is preaching these parables, as He's proclaiming to these large crowd, what we have is this small number of followers who are actually loving Jesus and following Him are coming to Him and they're listening and they want to hear more and they're asking and they're saying, let me hear. Explain to me what this is. Dig out any obstacles. I want to hear the Word of the Lord. And my prayer is that this would be your desire this morning. That as we look at these parables, as we look at this Word, that you are desiring to hear God's voice, to hear God's Word this morning. Because when we hear God's voice, when we hear God's Word, it is only here where we find rest. Where we find comfort. But it's also only here where as Christians we find our marching orders. Where as Christians we find that we have a job to do and what that job is and what it entails. You see, the Christian life is not one where you come to Christ and then you just sit back and relax. But that God saves us for a purpose. And He's got a mission and a calling on everybody's life. The Christian life is a journey. And it's not a call to sit. It's a call to action. And God wants you to hear this this morning. He wants you to understand. And so the question that I have for you this morning is will you hear? Will you hear? Will you allow God to remove any obstacles that may be in your ears this morning that are keeping you from hearing what God would have for you to hear this morning? Now as we open up and we look at this parable this morning, The parable of the soil, the parable of the sower, it is called. This parable is familiar to to all of us, right? Most of us know this parable. But what you may not know or you may not have connected is that when you look at this section as a whole, uh, most of Mark chapter 4, there are actually four parables here and they all fit together. And what's interesting is that Jesus tells the parable The disciples come and say, we don't understand. Jesus explains it to them. And then Jesus tells other parables. And look what is happening in verse 34. In chapter 4, verse 34, we hear these words. And He did not speak to them without a parable, but He was explaining everything privately to His own disciples. And so Jesus would speak in a parable, and then privately He would explain it to His disciples. What's fascinating in our text is that the only explanation of any parable that we get is the first one. And, and what I think that the Gospel writer tells us is if you understand the first parable, the other three will make sense because they envelope into this parable. Or, or, or they give example or they highlight what's going on in this parable. And so first, first, we need to understand the parable of the sower and we will understand the others. You know, one of the major obstacles, one of the major obstacles, I think, to hearing, a hearing that leads to obedience in the Christian life, is that many times we don't know who we are. We don't know who we are. And so if we're always questioning who we are, then many times we we don't hear the Word of God because we don't know what is for us and what is not for us because we're trying to figure out who we are. And a good test of whether or not you know who you are 
would be if I, as I'm going to do, I read this one verse and then ask you a simple question. In verse 14, as Jesus is explaining the parable of the sower, he says this, the sower sows the word. And so the question I would have for you is, who is the sower? Now, some of you this morning may say Jesus. Well, if you read the parable and if you read the subsequent parables, you'll understand really quickly that Jesus is not the parable in the story and that Jesus is not the is not the sower in the story. And and as you look a little closer at some of the other parables, you'll see that Jesus isn't the sower. In fact, look at verse 26 and 27. In verse 26 and 27, this is a different parable. And he was saying the kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the soil. He goes to bed at night, gets up by day, and the seed sprouts and grows. How? He himself does not know. Jesus knows how the seed sprouts. This man has no clue. He just casts out his seed, goes to sleep, wakes up. Oh, look, it's growing. Some of you, if I ask who's the sower, may be tempted to say, you are the preacher. Huh? Yes. But it's not limited there. Some of you may say, oh, I know who the sowers are. Evangelist. Apologist. People who have the gift of evangelism. People who have a special giftedness. I think when we read verse 26 and 27, one of the things that we're supposed to take note, and when we read verse 14, or that the sower sows the seed, that we're supposed to see that there's no special, specific calling to a special group of people, but that rather, when Jesus is saying, the sower sows the seeds, that we are all sowers. That we are all called to proclaim the Gospel. Look in verse 21. Look at the parable that immediately flows after the parable of the sower. It says this. And he was saying to them. Next verse. And he was saying to them. A lamp is not brought to be put under a basket, is it? Or under a bed. It is not bought, brought to be put on the lampstand. For nothing is hidden except to be revealed. Nor has anything been secret. But that it would come to light. That in the context of telling this parable. What Jesus says is nobody buys a lamp. Nobody has a lamp in order to hide the light. And it's very simple, right? The point of the parable is that you have been given the gospel, you have received the light of Christ, and you are to let your light shine among men so that when they see your good deeds, they will worship God. So if you have received the light, you are to let that light shine. Shine. And then in verse 23, he says, If anyone has ears, let him hear. If you are one of God's children and you are hearing the word of God, hear this. You are to let your light shine. You have been saved for a purpose. God has a plan. God has intention in saving you so that you would be a sower of the seed. In verse 24 and 25 of this same parable, 
He is saying, take care of what you listen to. By your standard of measure will be measured to you. And more will be given you besides. For whoever has, to him more shall be given. Whoever does not have, even what he shall be even what he has shall be taken away. That if you have been given the gospel, then you are expected to give that gospel away. And the more that you give, the more you receive. Crystal clear. The goal and aim of our life, of our life is that we are to be a people who let our light shine. And so when we come to this parable, and, and, and with anything in the Bible, there are many things that are misunderstood and misconstrued and taught wrongly. But if we're really going to understand the parable of the sower, the parable of the soils, we have to understand as Christians that we are reading this from the vantage point that we are the sowers and that we are to be sowing a seed. And if we don't understand this, we will not understand the parable and we will miss it and we will miss our Marching orders. In fact, it's interesting that in this section of the Bible that language is used like this. Remember from a couple of weeks ago when Gary was preaching in chapter 3, when Jesus says, who are my mother? Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? It's, It's not the physical, but Jesus moves to that spiritual saying, those who do the Father's will, this is the new family of God. That Jesus is, is teaching in such a way that the family is reoriented around people who believe, Christians, believers, we are part of one big family. In verse 11, as Jesus is, is talking uh, in between the parables here of explaining, He's talking about the kingdom of God. This language is used. That there is a kingdom. And that if you are a Christian, you belong to another kingdom. So get this understanding. You belong to another family. You belong to another kingdom. And in this kingdom, in this family, there are different aims and goals than the goals and aims of this world. And one of the aims and goals is that you have marching orders. You have marching orders to be a sower. So whether you're married, whether you have kids, whether you're single, whether you're nine, whether you're 29 or 89, that you have a job to do and a role in the family and the kingdom of God. And that we are to be people who sow seeds. Now what's interesting, the God of the universe has all authority to just lay down the law and leave it, right? This would be akin to if this afternoon, um, if you are celebrating with your family Mother's Day and one of the kids begins to try to stick a pea in their ear and mother says, stop it. That's all she should have to say, right? Stop it. Don't put the pea in your ear. Here, here, what's fascinating is that Christ could have just said, you are to be sowing a seed But he goes into a longer example. He goes into a longer thing here. And I think it's very important. I think this is a very loving gesture to us. And there's there's a lot here that we need to understand. And so we can't just stop here. Christ doesn't just stop here. And one of the things that we have to remember from our context a couple weeks ago is that as Jesus is here and as Jesus is, is teaching, remember that the crowds were so great that he couldn't stand on the seashore anymore. He had to get into the boat. And he was proclaiming from the boat. And there were these multitudes of people. But we see later that we see that 
These were the crowds, but the true followers of Jesus was a small group. And one of the things that I said last week is that it's thought that Jesus had been teaching here for about a year. And there weren't a whole lot of people who were truly believing and truly following here. And I think as he was teaching and as he had this small crowd around him and he was telling them that you are to sow the seed, you are to spread the gospel message. Think if you were one of the tens or maybe a hundred folks there. That may be a little discouraging. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, God's very own Son, is sowing seed to thousands and thousands and only a small number are believing. So what do you think about you? What do you think about your job as a sower? See, the rest of this parable, of these parables in this chapter, I think are to encourage and comfort so that we can hear and see what God is doing and it will encourage us to go. And so I want to jump into the rest of these parables. And real quickly, um, just kind of paint the picture. And, and I, think this is, I think this is pretty easy and probably we understand this to some bit. Just the, the background and cultural knowledge of everybody in this crowd when Jesus was saying, a sower sows seeds they would have understood immediately what he was talking about. In this day and age, uh, someone going out uh, to sow seeds was very commonplace. Everybody did it. You put a sack on your shoulder, sack full of seeds, and you went out and you spread the seeds. Now, now the other thing that we have to kind of get out of our heads is that in our day and age, if, if you were to go to someone's house who had a garden or who, was, uh, who had a, a farm, you would see like nice rows and everything was divided up very nicely and orderly and there's a fence around and this sort of thing. In this day and age, it was just large open spaces and people going out and they're spreading seeds and there's no fences and and this sort of thing. And the other thing that happened is that there were paths. And, And these paths weren't just for the farmers or the people who owned the property, but these were paths that were kind of thoroughfares from city to city. So think in your mind for a moment, several months or a month or two ago when we were talking about Jesus and his disciples on the Sabbath and they were walking along a path and they were taking grains in their hands and eating it and the Pharisees got upset with them. This is the sort of thing. They were going from one place to another and there were fields. This is what this looked like. And so as Jesus begins to teach and he teaches about these four different soils, this would have immediately hit and they would have completely understood the metaphor. And I think it's simple enough that we don't have to go into painstaking detail to understand it as well. Look in verse 15 when he talks about the first type of soil. He says, these are the ones who are beside the road where the word is sown. Again, this is the path. When they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word which has been sown in them. And what we see here is that this seed is sown, it falls on hard path, It doesn't penetrate the soil, and immediately it says that Satan comes and takes this seed away. And you may say, how does he do that? And I would say that many of you understand and know how he does this, because here's what this looks like. How many of you remember sitting and hearing a gospel message before God opened your eyes to his son Jesus? 
and that you remembered in hearing that gospel message that these voices started coming to your head of, I'm hungry. I'm tired. When will Lewis shut up? Or that's silly. How could anybody believe that? That's just a myth. That seed falling on hard ground and Satan immediately comes and snatches that up and there's no fruit. There's no fruit. The second type of soil we see in verses 16 and 17. In a similar way, these are the ones whom the seed was sown on the rocky places. Who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy and they have no firm root in themselves, but only temporary. And we, if you live on Signal Mountain, if you've tried to farm on Signal Mountain, you would understand this. If you've even tried to dig on Signal Mountain, you would understand this. You never know. There are rocks everywhere just underneath the surface and you never know when you put your shovel in the ground when you're going to hit rich dirt or when you're going to hit a rock. And in this day and age, they would have gone out to the fields and removed any rocks that they had seen, but some of them were too big to move. Some of them were underneath the surface and so seed falls on the ground, goes into the soil, but it can't establish deep roots because there's a rock there. There's a rock there. And so the illustration is this. They have no firm roots. They're only temporary. Then when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately they fall away. So this might be a person who hears a gospel message that goes something like this. Come to Jesus and your life is going to work out perfectly. How many of you would say this morning that that's how your life is going? If that's what you believe, then when the hard times, when the persecution comes, when it's not good times anymore, when the joy of belonging to a group goes away, when things get hard, you're uprooted and you go away. When affliction and persecution comes, they go away. Then look at verse 18, the third type of soil. And there are And others are the ones on whom the seed was sown among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard the word, but the worries of the world and deceitfulness of riches and desires of other things enter and choke out the word and it becomes unfruitful. This type of soil is the one who receives the word, hears the word, makes some acknowledgement towards the word, but then, but then, what they see is that instead of following Christ, instead of belonging to Christ and His family, instead of our allegiance being to the kingdom of God, the allurements and entrapments of the world come along and we begin to follow money and power and other things. The deceitfulness of this world and it chokes us out. One of the examples that I think of when I think of this is when I was in college, I would lead backpacking trips and they were uh, these four-day excursions into the mountains and we would pack our own food, and it was, it was a good time. Uh, won't bore you with all the details of that. But one of the things that got annoying was that, you know, kind of eating the same bland food every day because backpacking food, especially back then, wasn't the greatest. And so one time we were coming out to a, a tea and a trail, and boom, right in front of us were blackberries. Awesome. So we were all like, let's get blackberries. And so we all went around the blackberry bush, and as we were reaching for blackberries, guess what we heard? Rattlesnake. And one of the things that I've learned is that rattlesnakes hang out in blackberry bushes because rodents and other things are attracted to the fruit of blackberries. 
And when they get in there to get into the blackberries, they get tangled up in the thorns and things, and the rattlesnake can, boom, get them. This is a good metaphor for what the riches of the world is like. We are attracted to them if we get involved and we get too far into them. If the faith is not strong, the evil one overtakes us. Now I want to pause here for a second because there is a, there is a word here that, that, that I want you to know and, and for two reasons. Some of you will have, as I, am, as I explain what I'm getting ready to explain, will have loved ones, family members. Some of you will have children who are in the situation that I'm getting ready to talk about. Others of you may be, may be in the situation that I'm talking about. Some of you listening over the internet may be in this situation and I want you to hear me clearly. My sweet dear mother was Southern Baptist to the core. And I love her. And I love my upbringing. One of the phrases that we heard over and over again in Southern Baptist life was, once saved, always saved. And, and, and I believe in that. I believe in the truth of the perseverance of the saints. But one of the things that would be overlooked sometimes by people in that world was that so sometimes things were taught and preached in a way uh, which was nonsensical. Meaning this. that So what would happen is that in my church where I was raised is that the gospel would be proclaimed and then, you know, maybe uh, as a nine-year-old, you would walk the aisle and you would come and you would sit and you would whisper in a preacher's ear and he would, or a deacon's ear and they would write down on the card and fill it out and that night you were baptized and boom, you're a Christian. So what was confounding and confusing was when that child grew up and entered college and all of a sudden declared, I'm not following Christ anymore. Or we're living a life after this deceitfulness of the riches and the things of this world. And so, so one of the things that happened in the church I grew up in is there would be much debate over what's going on here. And some people would actually say, and this is the wrong thing to say. They're okay. When they were nine, they filled out the card. What I would say that this parable informs us of we don't know the condition of that person's heart, right? We're not God. However, if you were to ask me if I've got a child or we've got a person in the church who is in this condition, is in this place, Lewis, what should we do? And I would say we sow the seed. We continue to talk about the gospel. We continue to hope that if that maybe God, if they're a Christian, will unclog their ears and they would hear and they'll come back to Him. That's what happened to me in college. Or maybe some come to the revelation because God opens the eyes of their heart and they see Christ for the first time because we're sowing the seed. Because they need to hear the Gospel. And you may be even here this morning. And as we're talking about sowing the seeds and we're talking about as Christians, this is what we're supposed to do that you identify more with those three soils. And there is no identification with sowing seed, being part of the family and kingdom of God. And what I want you to hear, I hope that God would might even use this morning to open the eyes of your heart so that you would see Christ as your Savior and repent and confess and believe in Him. The Bible tells us this. You will know them by their what? Fruit. By what they're producing. And if they're not producing, then there's reason. There's reason. 
to doubt. And we need to sow the seed. Parables often, many times when Jesus speaks in parables, Jesus teaches and preaches in a way where he gives a shocking ending. Jesus is a good communicator, like oftentimes will kind of throw the hammer down or throw a curveball, and it would make people think. And, and one of the things that I think we don't get from this parable when we read it is that Jesus gives this really shocking statement. And when somebody gives you a shocking statement as a story, that's the point that we're supposed to listen to, Right? That's the point where we're supposed to say, oh, there's something here. What's the point of the story? And the shocking, the most shocking point of this parable is the last soil. That's the shocking point. The other ones aren't shocking. It's the last verse, verse 20. This is the shocking point of this story. Listen to this. And those who are the ones whom the seed was sown on the good soil, and they hear the word of God and accept it and bear fruit 30, 60, 100 fold. The shocking part of the parable is that Jesus exaggerates the crop. This would have been unheard of. The amount of, of produce, the amount of grain that was harvested, 30, 60, 100 fold. The people who heard this would have been like, no way. That's massive. And Jesus, as he is saying this, he is pulling them into something. And we are supposed to hear this. Notice, notice verse 30 through 32, the parable of the mustard seed. It's the same point. Hear this parable. Hear the word of the Lord. And he said, how shall we picture the kingdom of God? Or by what parable shall we present it? It's like a mustard seed, which when it is sown upon the soil, though it is smaller, the seed is small. It's smaller than all the seeds that are upon the soil. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than any plants in the garden. That Jesus is reemphasizing this point of the greatness of the harvest, the greatness of the response to the seed, the greatness of the response to the gospel. And then he makes a quote. Then he quotes Ezekiel here. So that the birds of the air can nest under its shade. If we go to the book of Ezekiel, you don't have to go here in chapter 17. Listen to where this quote is from and you will understand and hear the point. Thus says the Lord God, I will also take a sprig from the lofty top of a cedar and set it out. I will pluck from the topmost of its young twigs. Notice the emphasis here. Twigs, young twig, a tender one. And I will plant it on a high and lofty mountain. On the high mountain of Israel, I will plant it that it may bring forth bows and bear fruit. Notice this, this little twig, and become a stately cedar. A stately cedar from a small twig. And the birds of every kind will nest under it. They will nest in the shade of its branches. All the trees of the field will know that I am the Lord. I bring down the high tree and exalt the low tree. Dry up the green tree and make the dry tree flourish. I am the Lord. I have spoken. I will perform it. Our God produces great harvest from small, insignificant things because He is in the business of declaring that He is God and that He is majestic and that He will be the Lord of the harvest. This is exciting to me. And couldn't you imagine 
Can you imagine if you were sitting there with Jesus? With all these large crowds rejecting the message of the Gospel, and you're one of the followers, and Jesus is telling you these parables, and He's explaining it to you about how great the increase is going to be. Could you imagine if, you could just, if He just gave you a glimpse, maybe pulled out a laptop or something, and showed you years and years and years later, 2,000 years later, the spread of the Gospel to the nations. Unfathomable that there were maybe 20 times the number of churches in a small city like Chattanooga than there were believers sitting around His feet as He was talking. That God has done it. God is building His church. God is establishing His kingdom. And here's the deal. Here's the deal. Here's the point of the parable. We are to be a part of it. That you and I were called to be a part of the spreading of the kingdom of God. This is your goal. This is your focus. This is who you are. And He wants us to see. He wants us to see that He's the one doing it. And some of us, some of us lack confidence. Some of us would say, I don't know how to do it. I don't know the right words. I don't know the most effective method. And notice what Jesus says in verse 26 and 27. The kingdom of God is like a man who casts a seed upon the soil and he goes to bed at night and sleeps and gets up in the day and the seed sprouts and grows. How? He himself doesn't know. It's interesting interesting that he would give us this parable because God God wants to clear the doubt from your ears God wants to clear the doubt from your ears that it's not about you but it's about the Lord of the harvest the Lord is the one who brings the harvest so a couple of things that I want to emphasize to us and the first thing is this And I think sometimes we get caught up in this and just one of the things that I want you to really hear me say, you have no clue when you are spreading the gospel, the soil of someone's life. One of my favorite stories that my dad tells, uh, my dad was a pastor, he tells a story of they had a revival and somebody invited a motorcycle gang and they showed up. And these rough guys come in 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 the 80s in Memphis They sit in the back of the church and this guy shares his testimony and next thing you know, these guys are pouring down the aisle and they're laying their drug paraphernalia and their drugs and their brass knuckles and their switchblades and their guns on the the thing here and giving their life to Christ. And I tell you, I know because he told me, when he saw them come in, he did not say, good soil. What about Saul? How many Christians would have looked at Saul and said, good soil? And conversely, how many of you have for years and years shared the gospel with someone and said, man, they are so close. Only to realize that the soil is not ripe. It's not ready. We don't know the soil You're not in charge of the soil. 
You are to sow the seed and let God be in charge of the soil. The other thing, one of the other things that I want you to know is that notice in this parable, the gospel spreading is not based on the greatness of the sower. It's not based on the sower being the most trendy person out there. If that were the case, I would have a better hairstyle and ripped jeans. It's not the point. You understand that, right? It's not the smartest person in the room. It's not the most hip person in the room. It's not the most trendy person in the room. The point is, is that God's people sow the seed and the Lord brings the harvest. And it's also not my message. The sower who is sowing the seed does not make the seed. Now in our day and age, we think we can manipulate seeds and that has not gone very well for us right now. There are all kinds of problems with that. But nobody can make a seed. The seed is given to the sower and the sower sows it. And all of us, if you are a believer, have been given a seed. You have heard the Gospel. You know the Gospel. This is the light that is supposed to shine through you in word and deed. You have a seed. And all you're commanded to do is to take what you've been given and to sow it. And today, today, I am praying that God would clean out your ears. Of any voice, of anything in your in the way of hearing the message of what your purpose and what you were called to. You are to be sowers of the gospel. And I want to get real specific. So I want to zoom in and then zoom out real quickly. And I want to zoom in and say this. One of the things that I'm just real jealous of is that here at Signal Mountain Bible Church, that, that those of you who are here and are with us, that we are to be a people who are constantly sowing the seeds in and amongst ourselves. Meaning this. One of the things that, that, that I do, and I've done it today, and I will do it probably in uh, a couple of minutes, and, and that is this, that uh, I will go out in the hallway, and there's one man in particular who's young man in the back, and I'm going to ask him how he played yesterday baseball, because I know he played baseball yesterday. I'm going to ask him how he played, because I'm interested and I care. But I hope, I hope that the legacy that we're leaving here is not that we want our kids to be good athletically. Or that we want them to be the brightest in their colleges. Or that we want them to have the best jobs. But I hope the legacy that we're leaving is that we want them to absorb the Word and for them to be sowers of the Word as well. Please hear this. Please hear this. If we send out our children from this church, with any other message, what does it say could happen? The deceitfulness of riches could come in and, 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 and grab it up. Or it can be plucked away. And I am jealous that we do not do that. So I pray that here, that we are talking with our children and to one another about the reality that Satan is real. That Satan is real. And he is against the Gospel. That in the Christian life, affliction and persecution are realities in the Christian world. And they will come. 
So we're uniting around one another when persecution and affliction comes. And we're surrounding around one another, encouraging one another with the message of the gospel. And that we're telling our kids and one another that the desires of the world will kill you. It'll kill you. So that we, we should be a people who are sowing the good news of the gospel. Not only here, but outside these walls. Outside these walls as well. So he who has an ear, God wants you to hear this morning. God wants you to hear this morning that he is building a great kingdom. He is establishing his family, his kingdom, and his rule. And you are a part of that building plan. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I pray that we would all hear from your word this morning. That we would take the words from this parable seriously. And that you would just burden us with a good, godly burden to be people who are sowers of seed. This is what we are called to do. And that we might realize that if we are frustrated in our Christian walk, it's probably because we're not letting our light shine before men. God, help us to be a people who sow your word. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.